Welcome to this week's episode of Safe Room, Blade Disgusting's horror video game podcast, delivering a horrifying new episode every Monday. I'm your host, Jay Krieger. And I'm the other one, Neil Bow. And this week sees the return of our chopping block segment, in which one of us assigns the other spooky homework in an attempt to help us tackle our collectively growing back catalogs. And for this month's chopping block, I picked the surreal and historical side-scrolling 2D horror game Detention from Red Candle Games. Set in 1960s Taiwan during the White Terror period, following two students, Y and K, who awaken to find their school deserted just as a typhoon approaches and the bridge to leave has been destroyed, all that remains being a flowing river of blood. What ensues is a haunting exploration and examination of not only their school, but of Taiwan's tragic history during this time period. And fair warning, we'll be discussing story spoilers. So Neil, this is a game that you were familiar with, and I'm coming to for the first time, but it's been on my radar for a while, and as is usually the case, uh, <laughs> one that I've gotten too far too late, but it left quite an impression, and I'm really excited to dig into this one with you. Yeah, it's uh, quite the game. It was Back when it came out, it took me by surprise. I took it just because it looked interesting uh, on a review, and yeah, naturally it was right up my street. Um it does that very Guillermo del Toro thing of uh, flavoring horror with uh, history, and you know, it, in video game form, that hasn't been done very often. I think really properly, and this does it quite well. I find. Yeah, you would think also like trying to merge like real world history and specifically one that's marred in tr- various uh, decades of tragedy and whatnot, and people being oppressed and we'll get into the history of everything, but like taking that and then blending it with a fictional genre narrative, like that's a pretty daunting task, I would think, just because, you know, on top of making a game that is entertaining, being able to blend those different ideas and concepts together and still have an experience that has the entertainment factor to it, but at the same time, the fictional elements, not necessarily, I guess, I would be worried that like you could undercut the importance of talking about that time period and that history if you don't handle it correctly. You know, it's a very de- can be a very delicate subject matter to discuss and to see them take this history and whatnot and discuss it in a game and have it be productive towards like a conversation or exposing audiences to a history, you know, like myself that was not familiar with this time period and make it into an experience that has entertainment in it and yet overall though it just it feels like it's done more so with something to say rather than it just being um you know exploitative of a period of history right i think we've both seen examples of games in the past where they try to use a subject matter or a time period or a history and it doesn't necessarily feel like the use of that real world context was justified in the final product in a meaningful way yeah it's got a real understanding of what it's going for which helps you know in in any sort of medium that you know you can have yourself inspired by you know saying and go oh yeah i'd like to do something based on this but having personal history or knowledge of something really makes it work if you can funnel that into it and funnel the pain of it you know even if you yourself hadn't felt it you know generationally maybe you have and you know, um, Red Candle Games have had this you know, um, 
fractious relationship with China uh, on several levels before this <laughs> in recent years, uh, to say the least. But um, so you can uh, very much tell that they know where they're coming from on this, and it, it comes across not. Yeah, you know, there's nothing like vitriolic about it. There's nothing that says you know, scathing about it. It's just presented in a very matter-of-fact way. It's like, which is all you need to do. It's there. You know, the history is there. The proof is there. If you want to go and look for it yourself on it, it's there. And that makes it more horrifying because it lingers in the background a bit more, and you can treat it as, you know, a straight horror experience. But really add some flavour with that, you know, the more you discover about what's going on and going into it, you know, without any knowledge of what all of this was, was a real sort of eye opener because then you want to know a bit more about the history of it. And it's, uh, I think the film goes into a little bit more of it as well. Yeah, so it's effective mainly because of that, because they totally get what they're doing with the subject matter and not treating with kids' gloves, but also not sort of doing broad brushstrokes of an idea. With Absolutely, yeah. And I think that it's important to provide a little more context for people that maybe hadn't played this game yet, yes. or maybe even if they had played it and they didn't necessarily remember all of the uh, political elements that the game touches upon and what it was like in Taiwan. So the game takes place during the White Terror period, which was the repression of the Taiwanese people, uh, while the island was under martial law for a number of decades. Um, and the goal of that was aimed to suppress, you know, communism uh, and the island fighting for their own independence, which, you know, resulted in, uh, you know, the outlawing of unlawful assembly or what was viewed as unlawful assembly, uh, association with others and, uh, you know, striking and regulating the news and whatnot. And, you know, for a period of time and a history that I was personally not familiar with prior to that. Those are all elements though, that I think, you know, we've seen a lot in uh, recent times that made this game for, for more reason than one. But I think that the subject matter this game dabbles in and the presentation of it makes it feel like a game that is much more modern in its exploration of those things for some of the reasons that you stated, right? The way in which it explores these concepts and topics it doesn't feel necessarily like they're just reading it off of a list, like you're reading no. a page out of a history book, right? It's more <laughs> about showing the player different experiences that characters in this, you know, fictitious setting, but in the broad strokes of things, it is drawing from a real place of real experience and real history. Um, it makes it come across in a very genuine way. And it's more about impressing upon the player that whether or not somebody agrees with the politics that the game discusses, you're seeing the ramifications of it. Granted, there is the genre uh, horror aspect to yes. it, which you know is exemplifying those real-world horrors uh, using different tropes and variables that we've all come to love through you know the enjoyment of horror and horror games and things of that nature. But I was really taken aback at the fact that the game is never preachy. You know, it's a short game; it's only three hours at the most, but it never feels preachy in its. I would say, narratively speaking, it's lengthy um, exploration of the history and showing the ramifications of that martial yeah. law in that period um, in a way that even though, like I've now said, I was unfamiliar with this period and what the history entailed, 
I never felt lost because the game does such a fantastic job of instilling like these, these are a group of people that feel oppressed or the ramifications of martial law can be that these students at a high school now are starting to turn on one another and they're reporting people who yeah. either are communists who have communist uh, sympathies or they're just people that other people are pissed at. And they said, well, if I report them to the uh, Taiwan Garrison Command, which I believe was like the secret police that was established on the island to, you know, uh, monitor those things. But it's the idea that like people are turning on one another, whether or not they actually have anything to do with the uh, different things that martial law there were looking to quell, Uh, whether or not that was justified, obviously, is a... uh, Another discussion, but mm. it's the type of thing I think that in highlighting so heavily on the experiences of others, it does a fantastic job of telling its narrative in a way that the player themselves doesn't feel lost. You never like, well, I don't understand the meaning behind this or I need more context for that. The game tells you and shows you everything you need to really be mm. embedded in this world in a meaningful way. Yes, absolutely. Um, it, I, I think I said this at the time, it, carves its own little niche in uh, the horror genre in terms of games because it has such a grown-up way of doing things you know it's like yeah which is not to discredit things that don't but you know four years ago this would have been you know it's something quite meaningful and while I think, you know, despite a short run time, I would say maybe it does sort of draw the point out a bit towards the end and mm-hmm. push and you know, it probably could have cut back a little there. And I felt, yeah, that part of the game is where I felt, okay, you, you've made your point. Maybe you could have tidied this up a bit more at the end. I think what precedes it is so effective and so involving that you know, all these years later when I was just looking back to what I said about it back in the day and thinking, wow, I feel like I was more negative on it than I actually remember, which, you know, I didn't, I think I gave it 8.5 out of 10. So it's not like I hated it, but you know, it's like, um, <laughs> but that was my main criticism then. I was like, well, clearly it's, you know, that's not what stayed with me about the game over the years. We're playing it again and again. It is, I, it's the stuff at the beginning that matters and, you learn to tolerate the slight dip towards the end. And yeah, I think it's admirable that there's such strength in what is being done there with pushing these bits of history through in such an, you know, not in a, they don't do it in a condescending manner or, you know, trying to teach you anything. It's just there, just there as something to say, this is what it is. And it does it so well. Yeah. So I wanted to uh, bring up one of our listener questions this week, which we received on Twitter. Um, and people that are listening can feel free to tweet us at Safe Room Pod if you want to share your thoughts on a game that we're going to cover or a game that you've been enjoying recently. But uh, user at Steve Boland 4 says, I don't know of any other horror game that directly references a historical event quite like this. I'm not sure how you would translate something like the White Terror literally into a game, but detention at least translates those feelings well, just pure dread the whole time. And, you know, I think a big part of this, and again, somebody like me that didn't have a lot of context for this period of time, I immediately felt caught up, not just from, you know, what the game was providing in terms of like the brief cutscenes or character interactions, but through a lot of the flavor text that's in the world, right? You pick up various notes, 
and notebooks and things like that. And the game does a really good job of kind of creating an atmosphere before even any of the supernatural stuff is introduced, right? And I think the the way in which the supernatural elements are introduced, they come on fairly gradually that it doesn't feel like it's rushing into that element. It feels like the game actually goes to pains to establish the setting and the feeling of isolation showing up and immediately kind of feeling on edge. And they do a great job in terms of like the little notes or pieces of parchment that you pick up that give you, you know, further context. I mean, from things that are as, you know, innocuous as there's a note that's about students complaining about when there's a substitute replacing their teacher. And one of the notes was like, um, well, I hate substitutes. They never know what they're talking about when they're teaching us, which like kind of gives you just a little bit of the idea of like student culture there, which is, you know, not unique to this area or this uh, time period (laughs) and whatnot. But just to give you an idea of like, the day-to-days of students and the types of conversations they're having. There's even, um, you find like a note that's being passed back and forth between two students as well, talking about like a teacher they like or a teacher they don't like. But then you have this notebook that your character carries around with them that you collect your notes and clues in. And there's one little note that's talking about uh, the school anthem that plays every day. And it says like, oh, it would be catchy if not for the dialogue, which just sounds like propaganda and it feels like propaganda. And that's like inconsequential to the overall arc of the game. But just one little note like that does a great job of capturing the atmosphere of that school and what that day to day is like, other than, you know, the woes of students that, you know, probably complain about having too much homework or they hate substitutes. But I think there's so many little moments like that that really make this a world that even if you're not familiar with it, you can kind of become invested in because of the plight of the characters or having their insight into it that feels more genuine than, you know, having to have a scroll of text that says like, well, every day we begin with the propaganda from this and that. And it's just little, lots of little things that do a lot to build up uh, an environment that now feels lived in, but you can relate to it on some level. Yeah. I think, the thing that strikes me with this the most it's that's becoming my catchphrase at this point but is that you know we have a very accurate representation of teenage life in that regard anywhere in that you know kids can show out most of the outside world and what's going on in it you know the world can it like right now is utter shit yeah but Kids can sort of insulate from that and complain about things that really don't matter, and you know you can feel like that's privilege and or whatever. But it, you know that's kids; they don't have to worry about that stuff. It doesn't directly impact them in the same way. Some will care more than others, obviously, because they're more empathetic to the, and aware of the outside world. But and this is a game that sort of shows that even though things are getting more and more oppressive they're still able to kind of do that and this feels like the tipping point where you know the outside world is just invading their world so much that they they can't deny it anymore that it is there pushing into their life and you know almost like the supernatural things that happen is like a physical manifestation of that you know now suddenly here it is here's something and yeah that's like the translation of what's going on to them you know it's their way of coping you know if you will you know of of dealing with the problem by attributing it to something that isn't normal and is out of this world 
And I like that aspect of it because, again, that goes back to that whole Guillermo del Toro thing of just saying, is it really stuff that's happening or is it just representative of a time? Or I think of um, Tigers Are Not Afraid, that film as well, which is, again, very similar in that, uh, where, you know, they infuse a sort of childhood fairy tale fantasy into a very grim world that those kids live in. And, and it's really affecting because I, and I, when I watched that, though completely different, you know, in terms of where it's from and what the story is, it immediately made me think of things like detention because you know, they, they share that sort of common bond of like, it's the innocence of youth and how that can persevere through so much. But, you know, it can be violated by adults and their horrible ways and and the more they get away with the worse it gets for the kids and it adds a sort of heartbreaking thing to it where it just especially as you learn more about their story you know and about the world that they're in and the history behind it it just makes it awful and depressing because yeah you can see it you can see why they'd end up in such a situation and feel so bad about it yeah, and you know that is really represented in our exploration of K, and you know the yeah. uh, the very quick realization that oh, you begin the game as Y, but he is not the protagonist of the game, right? He is the, for lack of a better phrase, he's the tutorial character where you're kind of learning the mechanics of this two D point and click that has this really uh, unnerving charcoal kind of uh, color yeah. palette or color scheme to it, which ends up really capturing the overall mood of the entire game in a way that I think is really fantastic. Um, but having that swap, I think, is great because then it gives you a character that from the outset is more mysterious with why it's more just like, okay, he's, sure, he's a student that wakes up and all of his classmates are gone and he can't find anybody and there's a typhoon coming, but there's no real mystery behind his character. Whereas as soon as you meet Kay and she's, you know, she's asleep in this auditorium, and he's basically like, well, what the hell's going on? Like, why are you the only person here that's sleeping? Like a character that is instantly shrouded in mystery and then becomes, you know, the vessel for exploring the rest of the game and ends up being a really complex character for a variety of reasons and why her perception of events and sort of her reaction to things that have been happening uh, based on her own history, I think, is so interesting and why the world actually of the game begins to reflect that in a way that isn't too revealing too quickly. But again, like the game is such a interesting and smart, you know, introducing of the more supernatural elements and how things begin to change slowly. And then, you know, you get this essentially like the, the version of like an else world, right? Where it's this, the other side akin to uh, something like Silent Hill, right? But not as, uh, dilapidated, but nevertheless, it's like another version of the world, and mm. things are become slightly different. Like now, there's a weird shrine outside this door where there didn't used to be, or there's you know uh, weird little items that are in the world now, and you're like, well, that wasn't there before. And then seeing that progress and become even more strange and more surreal, and having that match a lot of the sort of breadcrumbs that you're picking up about the events that either transpired before this event has occurred, whether it yeah. be tied to their history or the history of the country or the island and whatnot, I think is a really smart balancing of the two because I find with games like this where, and 
it, this might sound like it is a, a criticism of it, but like the approach to a horror game where inevitably the real point of the game is that like, oh, look how real world horrors can rival these fictitious horrors, right? Yeah. That's not, I don't think that that's uh, an issue or anything, but it's very interesting to see a developer not come on too strongly with maybe the elements that would be more fun to create, right? Instead of reliving this tragic past, like getting to create more of a horror atmosphere and environment Mm -hmm. would be maybe the fun part, for lack of a better phrase, of game development. But they don't come on too strong with that because I think if this game came out the gate way too strong with a lot of genre elements that we're used to, it would end up undercutting a lot of the legwork that goes into establishing the setting and the history and then you're more accepting of the more supernatural elements, which uh, mm. which we can get into. Yeah, and the other key element you know, about Ray's story is just you know, it, it's lined with tragedy, which again goes back to the idea of like trying to hide from that and just mask it. And hers particularly is you know, a key to this story, and it makes it what it is. In mm. both, you know, the game, the film follows pretty much the same plotline again where you know it focuses on on uh, her relationship with a teacher which is uh this is the big thing you know she's had her problems she's sent to a teacher to help out her falling grades because she's you know, it's affecting her so badly and unfortunately you know, controversially they end up in a romantic relationship you know again which the game again handles in a very adult manner and a matter of fact way doesn't it's not romanticizing it in fact it's making it seem like it's you can they're showing you why it was a foolish thing to do in any world let alone this place where you know (laughs) they're already in danger of getting in trouble for all sorts of things and to do something like that is pretty much giving free pass free pass to a lot of the but then the background stuff of that is you know it, this resistance going on against what the government's doing and that and the military. And it's just, you know, so many things going on at once. And because none of them are like, you know, hit over the head with any of them, you are allowed to sort of have them breathe, breathe through you, you know, as you're going through the story and you're, you can sort of appreciate bits here and there as you have quiet moments and you do have those quiet moments. And yeah, it you'll come back to it and then really sort of let it sink in as it gets towards the end about because as much as I said about the game having its issues towards the end, the end itself, you know, of what happens there is so hauntingly effective. That again, it's probably another big reason why you can excuse the dip because it's like, okay, yeah, if you're going to pay off with that, that's that's brilliant. I mean, we won't go into that right now because I think you know there's some stuff that doesn't need to be spoiled with this game because it's so underplayed compared to some games, and yeah, but it it all bears the fruit of a very tragic relationship in a time and place where couldn't happen shouldn't happen and the consequences of it are multiple multiple you know the, you, you have too many things to worry about there with that and yeah it, it's 
such a heartbreaking thing to to get through at the end in that sense and that was what i didn't expect you know with a horror game is to have heart a heartbreaking experience that isn't the traditional oh this person has died i am so sad sort of thing i've spent all the time it's very much a case of like no 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 they've had a shit life and it got shitter and it got shitter and it's up to you how much shitter it's going to get towards the end of this, you know, in terms of what you do and don't do. Yeah, um, and, you know, I've now been referring to the protagonist as Kay when, in fact, the character's name is Ray. So that was a, uh, a brilliant <laughs> move on my part. Um, but I, what I really, really appreciate about the implementation of the horror aspects, which I want to get a little more into now um, in terms of those being you know, the more genre moments and yeah. genre tones to a lot of the real world horrors that we've been uh, discussing for the better part of the episode so far. I think that the way in which both uh, her story and again, like the real world horrors that they were dealing with in the time period, you know, the horror itself is never the driving factor of either or of no. those, you know? And again, I think that that, at the end of the day, like even makes it more significant that horror can be this vessel for exploring real world events or real world emotions and arcs and characters and things like that, that are not entirely reliant on the horror elements. If anything, you know, the horror parts of this game are used as a tool to, you know, exemplify these things and really shine home the fact of various various degrees of turmoil, right? Whether it be mm. memories of things that a person has experienced or they don't remember experiencing and they've been, you know, grappling with really accepting. But at the same time, I think from a gameplay perspective, it fuels a lot of the puzzles in this game, which, you know, are not necessarily the most difficult ones, but I think that all the puzzles are unique in their presentation in a way that, really allows the horror to shine through in this game um, in a way that makes those puzzles more than just like, oh, you need to find this key or you need to find, uh, you know, this strange item. It There's a presentation factor to everything that doubles in, you know, not only being a cool, creepy moment, but also kind of being another vessel for what the character themselves is dealing with and, you know, giving us the uh, the visual and physical manifestation of an internal issue that they're having or trying to grapple with or a reality that they tried to, you know, push to the back of their mind, but is come screaming into the front of their reality um, in a way that I really liked. Um, and again, like the game never comes on too strongly other than, you know, of course it is a, uh, a horrifying world that is now filled with spirits periodically that you have to avoid, which are known as the lingered. But even in that regard, everything has a significance that, you know, full circle is in service of something else. Um, you know, granted, there are a few like very, very brief and seldomly relied on um, jump scares throughout the game. But again, everything is in service of another element, whether it be storytelling or a puzzle or just in terms of further fleshing out the tone and the atmosphere of this world um, in a way that no interaction or like overtly creepy moment or scary moment uh, feels like it's done so for the sake of, you know, just eliciting a quick reaction or a quick little moment and then move on to the next thing. Like everything, when you stop and think about it, I think complements uh, probably every other moment of the game in a way that makes for a really satisfying, uh, satisfying 
uh, experience. Yeah. And yeah, on the supernatural side and the, the monsters, to me, I didn't realize it until we talked about Lone Survivor recently that you know, that that's the thing that kind of reminded me of in terms of why what it was doing was effective. Because, uh, you know, we, we sort of maligned the idea of, like, having combatless horror, you know, a lot. Um, because, not because it's a bad idea, it's just a lot of the time it is done badly. And here it isn't. You know, where it, you know the, the mechanic you have, like, basically holding your breath to pass these spirits is clever you know it's not the first game to do it not the last game to do it but the way it is implemented is done well and i think having it on a two-dimensional plane is what makes it more effective because once you take those sort of mechanics into a 3d space you're giving more room to trial and error and frustration i think whereas this this streamlines that in a way that works for the game and progression and that combined with just the, the general look of the game and the way things move it makes it such a an unsettling occasion when it happens but it's fleeting most of the time uh, and when you do get caught out it's horrifying and terrifying because it's just presented in, in just the right way for it and yeah i i think it is one of those rare examples of uh, combatless horror that really nails what it's doing. And because going, you know, again, not wanting to spoil the story, it feels like that's the way it should be anyway. You know, it's like, it's fascinating. I find the way that they've handled that. Yeah. And, you know, with an experience that is so heavily reliant on exploring many of the story elements and historical elements that we've mentioned, I find that if it had been a 3D experience that had more of an emphasis on either if it was combat or even the mechanics that are in the game, right? If there were more instances of having to avoid the different types of lingered, or there's only one or two, but if there had been more of an emphasis on that, I find that it would have been distracting, right? It would have been distracting to the overall point of the game. And that takes it back to the idea that, you know, for people, and when I say people, I mean like the masses that might play it or general sense of like who might be playing the game or want to try the game, you have to have a certain level of interactivity. Otherwise you kind of, you hear that same noise that people will have about, Oh, it's, it's not really a game. It's an interactive experience or whatever kind of bullshit conversation, which we will not be having on this podcast. Um, It's the type of thing that there is just enough level of interactivity that is done in, you know, well, but at the end of the day, like it's not the focal point, but even those brief instances of interactivity come back again full circle to establishing this world and a culture that we were not familiar with. And this is another yeah. element of the game that I really, really like. It doesn't leave it at just like, yeah, there's spirits that you need to avoid, right? There's a little bit of cultural and mythological context to the different types of spirits that you encounter, right? There's, uh, I think there's two or three uh, different types. Like there's one that is very much sort of hesitate to say stock standard because it's done a lot better than that, but it is a creepy woman that is, you know, moving around very uncomfortably and, uh, and makes this creaky groaning noise and you always hear them before you see them. And sometimes they run at you, um, which is very, very well done. And then there's another one that's like a a towering lantern figure that you kind Mm. of have to turn your back to and wait for them to 
walk away or pass you. And, you know, they always lean down and they almost like smell the area that you're in. That's very, very uncomfortable. Even if, you know, so long as you're not facing them, they're not going to grab you. But still, every time that in the back of my mind, I always thought, oh, shit, what if my, my breath runs out? Because you can only hold your breath yeah. for so long. Um, but I just like that the game takes these elements of gameplay and enemy and mechanics that are, you know, familiar enough, but there's some type of cultural significance or mythological significance to them that further makes this a unique world or a unique presentation of that world in a way that, again, it just feels like it's in service of something more than, oh, we need to have a gameplay moment here. Or we need to have a stealth section here. Um, it kind of just, again, it, it feels like a full service experience at every step of the way in a way that uh, definitely goes the distance in terms of like not getting hung up on a lot of maybe gameplay loops or staples that games that have tried to do something similar have in the past, which then, you know, not only makes the, drags the experience out longer than it needs to be, but also if there's more head, more emphasis on gameplay from that stance, it would probably start to detract from the main purpose of the game, right? Exactly. It really would. And I was thinking of another element to me that really sells the whole experience for me. And it should be no surprise that you know, I love soundtracks that work well to sort of push the game further. And Detentions is a really interesting one because um, it incorporates you know, musical instruments from Taiwanese you know, culture. Um, you know, and one of the, I wanted to look into like the soundtrack beforehand and um, found out they used this thing called a suona, which is basically like a kind of horn. Um that they use, which is where you hear those sort of high-pitched, loud noises that come into the soundtrack. And, yeah, the composer is uh, Wei Fan Chang. Um, he makes this soundtrack an integral part of um, any suspenseful and uneasy moment in the game, whether anything's happening or not. It really sells the dread and the otherworldliness of what you're going through. And so... I think I likened it to being less of a musical score and more of a collection of hysterical stabbing crescendos. You know, a noise shifting its pace whenever appropriate. And yeah, it's just, it's absolutely in keeping with the rest of Detention's presentation. And yeah, it's just the tension whenever it comes up and the unease of just when nothing's happening, it's, it blares on in a very, calm fashion that just drones almost and it, it really gets under the skin it's I think that plus the way the art style looks and how the characters move in that art style it gives it a real dreamlike quality you know probably a nightmare quality if you want to make it that and that again works really well in the context of the story once you've finished it to Okay, yeah, this does feel like someone's waking nightmare of like something that happened, and I like that about it. Absolutely, but uh, I think we're going to take a quick break, and we'll keep chatting about detention when we get back. I mean, along the lines of that soundtrack, I think that is so imperative in capturing, again the world that is showing us the ramifications for a lot of the 
atrocities that occurred before, that occurred during and occurred later in life and just the uh, amount of censorship that people are dealing with and how they're being oppressed to this degree. And the music does a fantastic job of capturing just the idea that people are in constant danger, whether or not it is a result of, you know, the supernatural elements, which is very much the game gamey portion of that. But at the same time, it creates an environment that not only looks oppressive, but you're constantly being inundated with this oppressive score that captures the melancholic reality of these people's current situation and, you know, previous and uh, even into the, uh, the present of, you know, the period of when the game is set. Um, and that's kind of along the lines of a little bit in terms of the atmosphere. And we had another uh, listener question uh, from at shadow bearing that said, it's an extremely powerful game with well-built atmosphere, a unique and poignant setting and implements real life horrors in a tasteful way. Genuinely wish it got covered more. It's one of my favorites. Um, and I think that we definitely, you know, feel along those lines, but a big part of crafting that atmosphere in addition to the music is that graphical style, which we've mentioned a couple of times. And it is this, you know, monochronic uh, charcoal-esque color palette that not only captures the tone of what is going on that pairs really fantastically well with that soundtrack, but also I think it's important the way in which the 2D nature of the game plays with foreground and background in a way that really channels the character's uh, mental state or sort of their own inner turmoil because the more in which the fantastical elements and presentation of the world are portrayed in that it's almost introduced like in tandem with our understanding of the setting and the pacing in which those supernatural elements are matching the little bits of information we're learning about the characters or the world. Um, I think specifically about Ray and kind of her beginning to accept more of like her past. And then the the player obviously is learning about that and learning about her home life and how things were in disarray and how her father is starting to drink more and coming home and he's drunk all the time. And now he's having an affair and the way in which the game's environment and the presentation of that environment channels that or parallels that is done in a really, really creatively engaging way. I found, um, And I think that it's the way in which detail is presented in, again, the background and the foreground that these environments that begin to become more and more surreal, I think, you know, they're surreal and they're bizarre, but again, they're in service and they're reflective of something. Nothing in this game really necessarily feels done so to just elicit a reaction. Like there's one instance when you've learned about, you know, more of her family life, And like I'd said, her father was having an affair. When you're learning about that, there's a segment where you're like walking through your childhood home and you walk through your parents' room. And instead of like, you know, the bed being level with the ground as it normally would be, uh, the bed is like up against the wall and you can see the parents in bed sleeping and, you know, playing against a 2D backdrop. It's like they're staring right at the player. And then you leave that room and then you learn more and more about what the parents' relationship was like. And when you come back, there's like lingerie scattered all over the ceiling and the walls and things like that. And the the mother is missing from the bed, but the father remains. And now you hear like the giggling of a woman. And I really like that, that the environments are constantly changing and being altered, but it's in service and it's informed by something, right? It's not 
it actually made me think about, um, I believe it was Andrew King when we had on who had mentioned, you know, in combatless horror games when the rooms change periodically or different environments change and it sometimes just seems like, well, we're just changing this to like freak you out or you turn yeah. around and a door is missing that was once there. And that's kind of just like to get a, a jump reaction out of you. But in this yeah, game, all of the changes are evolving based on our understanding of a character, a setting, an event. And I think that that's what allows this game to sidestep that issue that some games have when they're like, well, we're going to change things around and you can't trust anything that you are seeing. But in this, it's all informed in terms of uh, the storytelling in a really great way. Yeah, it really does. And it, I think it came through into the next game as well, Devotion, where you know you had this sort of base understanding of how the, everything changes as you learn more about the character. And what I found smart with Detention especially is the fact that they don't go for the usual amnesiac route, you know, with um, regards to saying why the character is not going to know all this stuff to begin with. It's literally, it's more the Silent Hill 2 route, if you will. You know, where the character is fully aware of the horrible thing that they're involved in and their part in it, but they're choosing not to remember it because it's too hard and too horrific. And yeah, so it's smartly done in that regard. And having acceptance that isn't based on you know, taking down some giant monster is <laughs> strangely refreshing. Or, you know, running out of a room or whatever it is. It's just, it's nice to have something that feels more profound, sounds wanky, but it, it really is that. In you know, relative terms to other horror video games, it's profound. And again, not to discredit games doing different things and making it more schlocky, I'm all for them too. But it is good occasionally to remember that horror gaming can do these things and you can tackle controversial subjects without making it the point of your game in the same way. There's interesting developers out there that do that and have hit and miss. We've discussed how Bloober Team kind of missed a shot with the medium in terms of trying to cover sexual abuse uh, with children and that they really did not hit that right then I think of the developers of uh, Martha is Dead and the Town of Light who while their games don't always deal well with it they provide interesting real life based scenarios Um, the Town of Light especially was another game that sort of brings me to this while it's in no way as good a game as detention uh, it really does tell a fascinating place of an italian asylum you know that was abandoned and you know the stories in that asylum in much the same way that detention tells its stories and i i felt drawn to that game for very much the same reason i felt drawn to detention is that I could see everything about it being interesting and wanting to know more about it afterwards. And that that's just the best thing about it. You, you get to 
feel enriched by it all. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that another element that, again, I am very, very impressed by with this game is that its approach to horror is one that permeates throughout the entire experience. And it's one that, you know, again, it's not necessarily the longest of experiences, but at the same time, I found that it allows its approach to horror to be consistent while not being overdone at any necessarily one point. Um, The world itself is, you know, again, incredibly unnerving. There's obviously the more overt moments when you're encountering these spirits and physical manifestations or, you know, ethereal uh, manifestations of horrors. And yet, and, you know, at the same time, it also does have, you know, there's some blood and a little bit of gore in the game, but overall, no element feels overdone in a way that feels like it is not in service of something. And I've said that earlier, but I think it bears repeating in terms of the game's approach to the use of, you know, blood and things like that. And that I just find whenever, so often when I play, you know, Western or European horror games that, and, you know, not to, uh, always bring up Outlast or something like that, but like there's such an emphasis. <laughs> it's the on, one I was thinking of. <laughs> yeah, exactly. But it's a thing where I'm like, you know, you can have that type of content, but it doesn't need to be the end all be all of the experience in terms of just laying it on so heavy and so often that, you know, you become desensitized to it. Whereas in this game, one of the puzzles early on that is like the first real instance of graphic violence and blood in it is when you have to solve a puzzle that there's these, you know, footsteps that you have to track to go into certain yeah. doors in a certain order. And it leads you to the first door, but you have to put paint or something or or something into the ground. So that way you can track the footsteps all the way through. And well, you can't find paint. You can't find this or that. So what do you do? You have to slit the throat of a character that is hanging upside down and use their blood as the thing that the footprints will walk through. And like, yeah. And even more so like the interactivity portion of that, it literally makes you slide by clicking on the razor blade across their throat, which is like incredibly disturbing taking that one step further. But it's such a smart use, I think, of using, you know, more graphic content because it's complementing a puzzle, right? It's a very, yes. it's not the most original puzzle, but it's using horror and, you know, graphic content to exemplify just the dire strain uh series of events that are occurring and how, you know, in reality, people were obviously not finding themselves with these supernatural puzzles. But I think that that puzzle really reinforces the idea that people in this time period maybe were having to turn on one another to survive, right? In a way that it kind of shows the idea that this oppression of the people is resulting in others turning on one another. And this is, of course, Mm -hmm. a fantastical exemplification of that. But at the same time, I think it's in service of something and not every puzzle has, you know, blood or gore or graphic content involved in it, but it makes certain puzzles, you know, pop in a way that is horrifying um, more so than just the traditional fare, maybe of something like that. I don't know. It's just, it's a smart use of horror and using it in a smart way and not kind of being over, you know, overhanded in any one aspect that you would ever become like desensitized to what's being uh, carried out. No, no, it's, it's, again, goes back to that whole idea of doing something that's very matter of fact, that it, it doesn't try to glorify, it's not trying to 
know, thrill you with violence. It's a, this is what happened. This is very much it. It's, you know, there's a lot of Asian horror in general that does that. You have this, not blasé, maybe, but this very casual attitude to nasty things and how they turn out because, I don't know, there's maybe, I don't know why, maybe that, that, that is just a cultural thing. But here, especially when you feel like it could be more visceral if they wanted it to be, uh, given you know the anger and hostility there, but at the same time, given everything we learned about um, Red Candle with the controversy over Devotion, where they got the game got basically blacklisted because it had this Easter egg to that took the piss out of someone, you know, and in the Chinese government, and that was it. it the, that was all it took to get them done. You know, this game, we were saying even before we started recording it, it's mad that this didn't cause more issues, you know, whilst it didn't get released in mainland China, nor did the film because of that very fact. But they were able to ignore that, but not this supposed personal slight that was deep within a game. And <laughs> that in itself just tells you a lot about why there's maybe a little apprehension in really sort of kicking it, you know, and saying, you know, saying, look, look at how evil this is and that, look how shitty this. It concentrates more on the guilt, the personal guilt of people in, caught up in that situation and how that poisons people, you know, good people, people who mean well, who, like you said, they, they could end up selling each other out just because they're afraid of what could happen to them and their family if they don't do so. And that's the true horror of everything they're dealing with. And you can see that that's something that's hard to escape, even with freedom of some sort. You know, you are going to have this lingering doubt that you're not always going to be free of this in the same way. And, you know, it's powerful in that regard because knowing all that happened to Red Candle afterwards just makes it even more poignant and more important that both those games exist and are out there and get played and have that history explained. Absolutely, yeah. Um, and I think, you know, before moving on from just their handling of the horror aesthetic of things and really not allowing it to undercut a lot of the legwork that they do and, you know, all of yeah. the various things that we've mentioned, um, the way in which they present the Elseworld version of the school and things like that, I think, again, really shows them, you know, pacing out the supernatural in a way that mm. feels gradual, which then, of course, matches the ramping up in the intensity of the reveal, which we're going to be getting to in a little bit. Um, it's something that I was really taken with in that, so, you know, uh, I think it was last week or the week before that where you mentioned something like agony where it's like, well, we're going to take this fucked up setting and we're going to make it over the top, uh, not exploitative, but like just having, you know, tons of gore, tons of nudity, and you can't not be like disgusted with what you're seeing. And this game does a really, really great job of starting out by presenting environments as being familiar, but something being off. And mm -hmm. then, you know... By the end of the game, it is completely unrecognizable in terms of the things that you're seeing, 
But again, it's not as if they applied like a times 100 modifier to the horror aesthetic of things. Like early on, you kind of get that river of blood that's flowing and it's like, whoa, that's really, really weird and strange. And (laughs) that shows up later on. But I guess what I'm trying to get at is like the environment does not become so horrific that it's like, well, the walls are covered in blood and there's quite literally, you know, tons and tons of bodies and body parts strewn about and all of this thing that is like, that would very much, I think, undercut the seriousness of what they are going for in terms of like referencing the historical events and the subject matter. Um, And, you know, there are elements of those things that I just mentioned, but it's done so in a way that just feels so respectful, but getting the point across still in, you know, exemplifying it a little more than it maybe actually was uh, in some cases. Um, And I think that it's a smart use of, you know, creative liberties with the historical, historical side of things but with that horror flair comes across Mm. in a way that's really really effective all the way through so that way by the time you get to the very end and you know there's one section where you're walking through like the woods and there's like giant fish carcasses in the background or something like that but again it's always in service of something and the implementation there i think by that point you have the realization of where the story is going and what the reveal is going to be potentially that you're like, okay, well, this makes sense to be introduced at this point in the story. If we had led with this right out the gate, you're like, well, why are you guys coming on so strong with this element? It hasn't necessarily earned the uh, the right or put in the legwork early on to have something that sort of like overt in its horror. But um, you had mentioned that, you know, there's a, a notable dip for you towards the end of the game. Uh, do we want to kind of get into that a little bit? Yeah, so... I think we'll point out here because I said I don't want to spoil much, but I think it is we we kind of have to to get beyond this point. So everything we set up to this point is not too bad, gives you enough to go on, go through the game. If you don't want to know anything more about this and where the game actually goes, stop here, play the game, come back, and then we'll go from there. So the big reveal of this game is that, and again, this is probably hinted to in what I said earlier about how it has a very Silent Hill 2 vibe, is you're basically a soul in purgatory. You know, and you are going through this cycle again and again because you refuse to accept your guilt over, over what's going on and what happened with the uh, romantic relationship and the book club, which was like this secret clandestine thing of banned books. Um, and obviously getting caught with those would lead to execution in many cases. And so, yeah, there, there is a lot of that that, um, you know, in itself as a reveal is great, I think. I just think that it starts with that and then the point's made and it kind of just keeps pushing that point and it feels like it should wrap up a little bit quicker, you know, in terms of like getting to the next bit and like where you make that choice, so to speak, and just get on with it. Now, as I said, I think at the time it it felt more cumbersome to me than it has in years later. You know, I think it's not quite the problem it used to be for me. Hence why I hold this game in such high regard. And I think in watching the film where you know it plays out very in a very similar manner, I warmed to the game's approach 
a bit more just because I think having that personal involvement in, in leading and pushing that story forward and sort of connecting with everything you've done and learned up to that point all suddenly clicks really well. Great, smart stuff. And like I said, the ending itself works brilliantly with what you've learned. Especially, you know, it, you have two choices again with this where if you accept that guilt or you, you know, and you move on or you deny it and repeat the cycle again. Now, I tried both endings on this on different playthroughs anyway. But to me, the darker ending of just accepting, not accepting anything and just going for it again is just chilling. Um, so you end up basically just coming through to the auditorium, being applauded by all these people like that. And, you know, her shadow self pretty much presents her with her award in quotes, which is a noose and she hangs herself and then it's pretty much implied that you're going to, re that the cycle will be repeated again. Um, the film takes the other ending, which is basically where she accepts the guilt and gets to move on and there's like a flash forward to Wei and who is middle-aged uh, which, you know, she sees him as a, this man figure throughout the school, throughout the game anyway. And, during, and yeah, so you find out that he was alive at this point and he was sentenced for his crimes. You know, he got caught out and, but was pardoned at the end of the uh, white terror time. And yeah, it, it, it basically just reveals this sort of, tragic story that's going on for everyone and the consequences of everything that happened in the story to that point again I don't want to push too far and go too far into it because the smaller details are fine to be sort of explored on your own I think and yeah it just felt really damagingly impactful I just, you know after and like I said that's what made that dip mean less to me because it's like all right i'll give you that I, I will give you the indulgence you went through to get to that point because you had something in mind it wasn't just you were trying to fill time it was like no, no, no you just wanted to linger on this bit and, you know that's fine that was you know an artistic decision and it, you know that, as a result that's not going to work for everyone but they've made it pay off and I, I, I enjoyed the payoff whichever way it went I kind of like the idea of repeating the cycle and being ignorant of what's going on because that feels like the point to me. And that's where, that's where I probably took points off the movie is that it went with the other ending. But you know, again, that's personal choice and feeling. And that's what makes the game better in my opinion is because you have that choice. Yeah. You know, I think, like you, I definitely appreciate that ending. Um, I think that that ending, again, bringing things full circle, um, is very reflective of the tone and very much the messaging behind this. Um, and, you know, I think that in thinking about it more, like Ray's experience of not being able to accept or not wanting to think about like her actions that had real consequences, 
I mean, that's not an experience that I would think is foreign to, you know, other pockets of people living in this country, in this island during this time period, right? I think that that's a very real world thing that people either struggle with or people have actually experienced that it's unlikely that other people living in this time period did not have experiences where their actions caused consequences that they could not foresee or they weren't thinking about ahead of time. And now, you know, either refuse to think about it because they're regretful of it or trying to, you know, justify what they did in some way. And, you know, I think that the game is four chapters long. I think that fourth chapter is a little long winded. It feels a little bit like an epilogue um, in a way in getting to the point of it. Right. Because I don't even think there are really puzzles in that fourth chapter. I think it's more about uh, her walking and meeting her, you know, the shadow version of her, which other than letting you access different parts of the environment that uh, Ray herself, whether it be her, you know, physical body or her shadow body can't uh, traverse and whatnot. There's a little bit of puzzle in that regard, but yes, I think that once you finally get there to that moment and it's so apparent that this ending, the one we talked about where she hangs herself in the auditorium is really like the true ending in a way, because you go back and you think about each of the different story elements that like the big, big elements that are the reveals in her history and her mm. decisions and how decisions were learned rather than her coming up with them on her own. And, you know, again, it's all about relationships, whether it be with uh, the different teachers or students or family and how those are all influenced of this during this time of oppression and being, um, you know, influenced by one another. It makes for an ending that just feels so heartbreaking and yet so complete in a way that I was not expecting, you know, the reveal of it being that she was a spirit. I didn't necessarily think was that that wasn't really a surprise to me. Right. Cause there's a point in the game early on when you see, I, I guess I won't even say, but there's a point early on in the game that I found that heavily implies like you could be a spirit at the end of the yeah. day. Um, and I was surprised at how affecting the ending was despite having that knowledge Um, Mm. or that, you know, I had made that prediction an hour and a half earlier in terms of like, this would be part of the end of the game in that reveal. And yet the actual reveal and seeing the journey and learning all of this about the character and the period of time and the atrocities that occurred and the significance behind everything, it made the ending have a lot more significance than, uh, than I was expecting and linger with me. You know, it's mm-hmm. an ending that uh, that I've been thinking about for a couple of days and just how it ties into everything so perfectly. And to the degree that even though you do have, you know, that choice, and I will say that I went back and, you know, experienced the other ending just because it's not so much like making this decision or that decision and getting a different ending, but there's, yeah. there's really great uh, text that goes along with that and dialogue. Um, the game has periodic cutaways the closer you get towards the ending. That is, I believe it's like poetry that Ray has been writing in her journal or notebook that she's been carrying with her that kind of is an indication into her inner turmoil at dealing with the turmoil going around in her life and the relationships with different characters and things of that nature. And it's all reflective of that inner struggle that I think, again, is shown through that poetry, it's shown through the world and the glimpses of the world and the ways in which the environment is reflective of that. The further down that, you know, 
rabbit hole of her personal history of the player ventures um, in a way that, yeah, it, it makes it hauntingly significant in every way and, you know, chilling in a way that stuck with me far more than I thought it would. You know, sometimes you have these endings where you're like, okay, well, yeah, I understand the ending I got, but then you kind of move on to the next thing or you're still appreciative of it, but it doesn't kind of linger in the back of your mind. And uh, Detention was definitely mm-hmm. not that game. Detention has stuck with me for a while and I uh, I assume it will for a good while after this. Yeah. And the thing we haven't talked about is in it that really adds the flavor to it is, you know, the revelation of why she's in this state in the first place. You know, it's basically her suicide at the result of her jealousy in this romantic relationship and trying to copy what her own family environment had done to sort of, you know, her mother had uh, got rid of her abusive father by framing him and basically so she could report him to the authorities and she basically copies the same thing in a, you know, in a, in a very dangerous time, as we said, like with this book club thing and trying to get this teach other, this female teacher out of the way uh, so she can have Mr. Chang to herself. Of course, it backfires because, you know, we find out way the student that you meet, that you start as, is, you know, he's the one that they're talking about. That, you know, she gets the information off him and that doesn't go very well, of course. And <laughs> as a result, we find out that Chang gets executed, you know, and she... You know, and you know, she then starts to think that you know that old crisis is my fault. She feels guilt for that, and yet yeah, she jumps off the build, school building, and that's what leads to this cycle of purgatory, which is you know, way as we said earlier, goes through prison and all this stuff as a result of it. And you know that ending, we say, which is officially the true ending. I said where she accepts her guilt. You know, which does give you this modern day way and all the things he's been through. I don't discount it out of hand because I think it has a powerful message in itself. But it's just that, um, maybe we're just, it's, it's a personal thing, I think, more for me. That I just, I feel that's the way the story should go for me. But the, like I said, that's exactly why they give you the choice. I think it's because either ending is absolutely viable. Yeah. And well, again, I view both endings as, you know, despite the, uh, again, a lot of the horror genre stuff that's in the game, like those are two very real situations that play into the ending, right? If this was just a game that played it straight and it was just more of a historical, uh, completely accurate historical setting within a 2D adventure puzzle game and didn't have any of the horror elements in it the narratives and paths of both of those characters are still perfectly viable and perfectly believable, to be honest, showing various outcomes of this oppression that is occurring. And, you know, the, the learned element from, or the learned, you know, plot to get revenge from the mother, I thought played into one of the elements of this game that we haven't really mentioned, but it, and it wasn't a big focal point, but like there is something in this that has a very rebellious youth, uh, angle to it in terms of like periodically uh, Ray mentions that like her mother was super was very religious and yet 
there's a couple instances where you interact with a shrine or something and uh, she immediately discounts the notion that religion is viable or she doesn't believe in gods and these things, uh, which is one example of like rebellious youth that like wants to move away from traditions of parents. But also I found that the idea that she has learned this maneuver to like remove an obstacle in her life from the parent is kind of like a commentary on parents own ways influencing children and how children yeah. can, you know, pick up on the worst of behaviors or sensibilities yeah. from their parents um, in a way that I, I don't know if I wish the game had leaned more into that, but I thought it was another interesting commentary on youth or a cultural commentary in these things that again, it just, everything that characters do don't feel like they're being directly influenced by the horror elements of the game. Rather the horror no. elements playing off of these very real world sentiments kind of just yeah. strengthens them in a, uh, in a way. Yeah, it's the innocence and naivety of youth coming through. I, again, not a direct comparison, but you think of uh, the film The Hunt, not the American one, the, the Danish one. And how that is about you know, a child, you know, innocently being jealous of a, an adult situation and with informed by things they've heard through their own family environment makes a horrible accusation and ruins a man's life. You know, it's not the intention, it's just childish belief that that will make things better and get them what they want. And that's pretty much what Ray has done here. It's like, you know, she believes that by doing the same things her mother did, that will make it all right. Despite, but the thing she misses being young and naive is that her mother did that out of desperation, whereas she's doing it out of jealousy. You know, and in a time where it's very dangerous to dabble in the things she's doing. And yeah, she gets to see the consequences of that. And like I said earlier, it's like, this is a game about that childhood way of being able to block things out more of the outside world coming through into your world because you've had it pushed upon you through, you know, what adults are doing and being shown what adults can do firsthand. And to her, this, you know, what happens, it's a very devastating thing. And as a child, you can't help but feel then that it would be your fault in much the way a child feels like divorce is their fault. Maybe, you know, it's like they have this very real guilt and she's at a teenage point of her life where, you know, everything's very much amplified and, with everything going on in that environment, you know, it's no wonder that she ends up taking such extreme action and trying to resist the idea that she ever did. You know? mm. And that is a fascinating, you know, again, the way that's handled is just you know, great, uh, you know, <laughs> as great as it can be for that sort of thing. <laughs> but it, it is impressive, I, th I think would be the best way to put it. Yeah, I was really, really excited to have an opportunity to finally get around to playing this game and for it to deliver in a way that I was thankful to see that it actually did. And again, like it's, mm. that's gotta be such, it's a daunting task. I'm sure to, you know, make a game at all and let alone have this really expert balance of historical relevancy and accuracy, and then still having, you know, genre elements, the more entertaining side of things that we've come to know and love and enjoy, but really, 
putting that very tastefully into something that could be so easily viewed as being exploitative of a tragedy yeah. or a period of time that's marred in so much loss and sorrow in these things. Mm-hmm. And I mean, just right out the gate, their first game, their ability to juggle these things. And it sounds like I haven't played uh, Devotion yet, but like that's next on my list now is that I want to finally make time for that. And seeing them take the same idea core behind it and sort of expand on that in a 3D setting, I think is very exciting. And uh, I mean, I'm definitely going to seek out the detention film uh, and I'm sure we will uh, we'll compare notes on that at a later date. Yeah, that and probably the TV series, which I haven't seen either, but which acts as a direct sequel to the plot of both the movie and the game. So, but yeah, the movie is a strange one, I think, because on the one hand, I think it's the most faithful video game adaptation there's ever been that's also good. But because the expectations are so high, and I think you need that personal involvement to make detention great. It lacks something and it ends up, you know, by its own lofty standards, it ends up feeling a little disappointing. Not majorly, but it's like, it could be classic, but it's not quite there for me. But as video game film adaptations go, it really is, you know, low bar as that is, the best, I think. And unfortunately, it has to be for a game that has a very small audience that's so... You know, it doesn't get brought up in the same way that you know people go, oh, Silent Hill or whatever. You know, so yeah, it, it if you don't want to play the game because you can't stand horror games, but you don't mind horror films, then you know the the, the film does a pretty good, damn good job of covering the same subjects, but you know, it goes somewhere else with the, you know, in terms of just portraying in a film like manner. So. Absolutely. Uh, before we uh, wrap up, though, I just want to mention a couple more listener tweets yeah. that uh, we received during the course of the week. And if you ever want to share your uh, thoughts on a game we're going to cover or just some creepy game you've been playing and enjoying, you guys can feel free to tweet us at SafeRoomPod uh, from at Jolly King Tut. That's a fantastic uh, username there. Uh, mm-hmm. They say it is an excellent creepy soundscape and atmosphere. Um, even if they found the gameplay somewhat limited, um, I think we touched yeah. upon that, right? The way in which it does just enough that I think it, or I think we've established that it kind of like gets rid of some of the naysayers that say, well, there's no gameplay in there, but everything again kind of is in service of the overall uh, experience yeah. and giving it a bit more interactivity. Yeah, it flows for the sake of the story first and foremost. Absolutely. Um, we have at Ray L M A O. Uh, which who says this is a beautiful game and probably one of the best indie horror games I've played would definitely recommend as uh, as we both would. And uh, yep. our final listener tweet is going to be from at true demon ending who says, I usually really loathe horror where the twist is the fantasy elements were metaphors. Real life is the scary thing because it stopped being profound decades ago uh, in detention. The ghosts are real because the history is real, no matter how much we like to ignore or censor it. And, you know, I guess in that regard, I think that there have been a lot of really great examples of games that are able to take, you know, fantasy elements and using them as metaphors. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't necessarily agree in that regard, but I do uh, agree that in terms of detention being a really exemplary example of, you know, having the ghosts that you encounter rival the history and being informed by the history um, come together in a really smart way and a profound way. 
more often yeah. than not. Because, you know, the more you learn about the events in the game and the setting and these things, things that you encounter earlier in the game are furthermore reinforced and are given yes. new significance in a way that uh, I think is definitely a standout uh, in a lot of ways. But yeah, you know, as always, we want to hear from uh, listeners and whatnot. And we always appreciate people letting us know what they think. But uh, yeah. Neil... As always, it's a, uh, a pleasure chatting horror with you for Safe Room. Indeed. Until the next time. Thank you for listening to another episode of Safe Room. Please consider following and rating the show on your preferred podcast platform. And for updates on the show, follow us on Twitter at Safe Room Pod. Thanks again for listening, and we'll see you guys next week. <laughs>